Under the Dome Radio for Season 1, Episode 5, Blue on Blue. This is Under the Dome Radio, the go-to podcast by and for fans of the CBS television show Under the Dome. Thanks again for tuning in, friends. This is Under the Dome Radio, episode number 12, Blue on Blue. It's our feedback and in-depth review episode. And Under the Dome Radio is produced by MediaVoiceOvers.com. That's me. So if you're looking for a professional voice talent for your website, your business, heck, even for your very own podcast, contact me. I'd like to chat about it with you. MediaVoiceOvers.com. It's also brought to you by our affiliate links. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash love for all the details on ways you can help us out. That's underthedomeradio.com slash love. And of course, on this 12th episode, we're going to go on the air and talk about what we liked and found interesting about this fifth episode of Under the Dome, Blue on Blue. And we will broadcast at the Tower, the section of the show where we play your feedback and our broadcast section, where we thank the folks who are helping get the word out about Under the Dome Radio. And finally, we'll go In the Dome, the spoilery part of the show, where we can discuss the differences between the book and the TV show, where this week we went more book, where last week we were less book. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next week. So we'll just have to wait and see. All the links mentioned in this episode will be posted on the website at underthedomeradio.com slash 12. And it's great to be back with you. I am Troy Heinrichs, the bike-riding, tech-teaching, world-traveling, Green Bay Packers fan who has a strange urge to watch Cocoon for some reason all of a sudden. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'm Wayne Henderson, the podcasting, voice-acting Packers fan who mysteriously has the phone number to QVC's ordering department memorized. I'm not sure what's up with that. I'm just saying. So call the Under the Dome Radio listener voicemail at 904 469-7469. That's the type of number people need to memorize, not QVCs. Our listener voicemail, 904-469-7469. Share your thoughts and theories. What is going on? And right after next week's episode, we'd really love to hear what you're thinking is happening after that episode. But before we dig in, I want to remind you that Under the Dome Radio is not affiliated with CBS, Stephen King, the Under the Dome TV miniseries, Amblin Entertainment, or any of those other related properties, but we would like to be. I feel weird kind of even bringing this up, but I feel led to at least make a mention of it. You know, on Under the Dome, especially in Blue on Blue, the the TV show in the book, it includes, you know, illegal drug making and drug use and things like that. And just wanted to remind everybody that Troy and I do not support these activities in any way. We're just going to be simply commenting on the story and characters uh, created by the author, Stephen King. And he happened to have written some very addictive uh, characters. And uh, before we begin, for those of you that don't know where the term blue on blue actually comes from, it's a military term for when your own people shoot at you. The enemy is typically classified as red, so typically you shoot blue on red, not blue on blue. And we actually get a couple references of this in the episode we saw just this past Monday. Excellent. I did not know. So I'm glad I'm listening to my co-host Troy here because I didn't know that's what it meant. I was trying to figure out because I thought blue on blue would have been more something related to like the new police force fighting with the old police force. That's since they did deputize some people, but apparently it means friendly fire. 
So right off the bat, we've got Joe and Nori, and they're asking themselves the same thing that we've been wondering, which is why is the dome supposedly only talking to them? Oh, yeah, right? Monarch butterflies aren't even in season. They shouldn't be anywhere near Chester's Mill this time of year. Maybe the dome sent them. Maybe it's trying to tell us that the dome's just a cocoon, and when it finally goes away, we'll all get to be something new. You realize most caterpillars are actually eaten before they turn into butterflies? So what's fascinating about this conversation, Wayne, is that you have Nori, who's kind of looking on the positive side of things, and then you have Joe, who's looking kind of on the negative side of things. And this is like the second time we've kind of heard this conversation about, you know, cocoons or caterpillars not making it, but we heard it in a different light. We actually heard it back in the pilot when Angie was talking to Barbie. So you saw whatever did all this? I mean, what there is to see, yeah. Some of the patients are saying it's like we're stuck in a giant fishbowl. I used to have fish. Goldfish. <laughs> but then one of them got sick, and the other one... The other one ate him. Did you even know they did that? Goldfish? So it's almost like we have two references here that's basically telling you that life is like rowing up an unsanitary tributary without a means of locomotion. Yuck. So, it, you know, it's really interesting to think about this dome, right, as a cocoon, like they were saying. You know, are, are they all bad in need of repentance or redemption to become beautiful human beings? That sounds familiar. I know. Must be a lost reference coming. We should have like a sound that goes lost reference warning, lost reference warning. <laughs> but basically they were all on that island, right? And for all the souls that needed to be redeemed for all their wretched pasts on Lost, only I think the dome is going to be opposite because you have two references now of fish eating fish or cocoons getting eaten by predators. And so I think the dome is actually the opposite of what the island was. And this is going to be it's going to bring out the worst of people, and the dome only brings death. And this is really prevalent because at the end of the episode, not to jump ahead, but when Big Jim is looking out over the desolation and the one butterfly lands on the dome, the butterfly immediately flies away. Yeah, that was yeah. really interesting and bizarre. The scenery and the special effects in this particular episode were fantastic. So just keep that out there. You know, why did that butterfly just quickly fly away at the end? Don't know. But then at the but then at the same time, if butterflies symbolize new life, the transition between this scene to Angie's tattoo. I know, I know, I'm obsessed with Angie's tattoo, but this one it was so hard to miss because it went right from the butterflies right to the tattoo and a nice kind of cross dissolve, zoomed right in on it. So it's got to be some kind of foreshadowing of Angie being maybe the eventual savior of the town. Could be. Hmm. I need to watch the episode again. I didn't pick up on that. But what was interesting besides that was the fact that, uh, you know, Barbie sees all these people coming into town on buses and Nori says that at camp, they call this type of activity a visitor's day. So guess what, Troy? It is time to pack your sack lunch and your police tape because we're going on a field trip to visit our friends at the border of the dome. But here's the thing that I didn't understand in this episode. So, you have this huge farm field where they see the buses pulling up by the butterflies initially. 
Mm-hmm. And then they go all, and the best part about it is that if they needed to feed everybody, there's a side of beef on either side of the dome for everybody to have lunch. <laughs> it's probably gone bad by now. Uh, maybe, you know. But in, but they, instead, they, they gather everybody at the other side of town at this choke point at the bridge. So if there's 2,000 people in town and they're all trying to kind of figure out, you know, how to see their loved ones, how do you get 2,000 people squished into that little point? So then they're at the dome, and they're putting up the police tape, and Linda's like, okay, you can't cross the tape, right? And what does she do? You know, <laughs> do, do as I say, not as I do kind of mentality. She runs across and sits there and, and sees her fiancé, which is now finally confirmed that they are definitely fiancé, and she sees Rusty. And was that kiss not electrifying? Oh, oh sorry. It's too early for that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, uh, the Microsoft product placements had me distracted. I was like, seriously, they're going to be using Microsoft Surface? Well, I was just waiting for the Surface to catch on fire and potentially kill Rusty right in front of Linda. They, that would have been cool. They were awfully close to the dome with that electronic. Yeah. I mean, it was it was almost, and they literally had a line right before. It's like, remember, keep your electronic devices away. And then here's Rusty, and he's like an inch <laughs> from the dome with the with the Microsoft Surface. Totally weird. I have a question, though. For for you and the listeners, were you expecting Reverend Coggins to confront Big Jim Rennie about their little uh, quote-unquote operation and how he tells Jim that he needs to let the town folk know the truth? I, I wasn't expecting that myself. Were you? Well, technically we're on, I think they said even they, they said in the episode that we're on day five, calendar day five of the Dome. Mm-hmm. And that confrontation happens a little sooner in the book. So it it didn't shock me that the confrontation happened. I think it shocked me how it happened and where it happened. But I think it was a little weird. Pretending that you haven't read the book, would you have been surprised? Let me ask listeners then that haven't read the book, were you surprised that uh, Reverend has totally turned his ways around and now he's confronting Big Jim, which, you know, not usually a very good idea. So just a little quick detour. There's kind of a victory for hashtag Team Wayne, as you mentioned on last week's episode. We had our little difference of opinion. And according to this episode, Julia Shumway seems to think that Peter is still alive and hoping that Peter will show up for Visitor's Day. Win-win. Yeah, I suppose you you got this one. You got this one. I'll give it to you. But, you know, Julia's going to get hurt in the end, you know, because she's holding hands with Barbie there. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens if it actually does come to light, you know, that Peter is going to show up in the ground and get tied back to Barbie in some way. But it was really great to see uh, Dodie. She's sitting out there at the dome, not behind the, the radio station controls, and she's actually using sign language to talk to her mom. That was cool. Well. Yeah, and it was even better that our good friend Dale Raul uh, reprised her role as Andrea Grinnell, as we said in the Monday episode of Under the Dome Radio at underthedomeradio.com slash Dale, if you missed that interview. And she's standing there and said, you know, I don't want to leave because I have to talk to my son. I haven't seen him in years. Yeah, I wonder what's behind that. I think she may have even said 10 years. Yeah, so it would be interesting to find out if they go anywhere with that story, especially if they move into a season two, which I think they're wrapping the 13th filming episode uh, this week. So we should hear something. There's going to be a TCA event next week. So maybe we'll find out at the CBS TCA event if they're going to do a season two or not. But it'd be great to find out about that story. And then also we have this guy standing there looking for Nori. And he's like, you know, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm your dad. 
what? And then Alice and Carolyn show up, and Alice is like, dude, what are you doing here? And they're like, well, you never were a father, blah, 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 blah. So was there some kind of falling out when Alice and Carolyn got together, and the dad's really the one that's actually, they stole her from the dad, or... You know, it'd be interesting to see like where that story plays out. You know, is the dad in the right or is Alice and Carolyn in the right? Well, I'm kind of wondering how far did he come to be there for Visitor's Day? I know that this is day five and you can travel almost anywhere in the country in a pretty short amount of time. But knowing that they probably kind of threw this Visitor's Day together with 24 hours notice or something, I just wonder if he was still kind of in the area or was he in Southern California? Wasn't that where originally... Um, Nori's family was from was California. That's what they were kind of implying it. They were like LA people. Yeah. Um, but then, but then the interesting thing would be like, who told them that Carolyn and right. Alice and Nori were missing, and then they were in this dome to begin with. That's a good point. So, Could be a no, a plot error that doesn't matter, or maybe he is some sort of mole that's in the know. Could be. I thought it was super cool that we, we missed him last time, but now he's back. Ben is back. And because all of Ben's friends are also trapped in the dome, he's actually been out talking to strangers through the dome, which I guess is in this instance safe because they're on the other side of the dome. And it was interesting that he heard that China was thinking about attacking America because they feared that the dome was some sort of new American weapon. And I hadn't thought about that as far as how do other countries perceive this predicament that we're in here in America with well, this dome thing? Not to compare it to like another show or anything. This is not a lost reference. What? But there could be a Jericho reference. If you remember the show Jericho. Never saw it. The, yeah, the United States basically, were, or some people involved in the United States, not the actual United States, but people high up in the United States basically decided to nuke strategically ourselves, kind of a blue-on-blue kind of effect because this insurance company actually wanted to make a brand new United States run by the insurance company. So there's like a Western United States and an Eastern United States after these bombs went off. So it's interesting to think that, you know, China was involved in that and that there was some kind of, you know, global conspiracy of did China bomb us? Did we bomb China? And we find out that the U.S. bombs the U.S. and Jericho. Hmm. So it'd be interesting to find out if this is kind of that same thing where, Maybe it's not the military that's behind the dome. Maybe it's an insurance company or some other kind of corporation that's behind the dome. Can you imagine the claim forms you have to fill out for being in that kind of accident? Doesn't matter. It still won't get paid out anyway. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Interesting writing on this episode. I think this is the best so far this season. Yeah. I mean, the only way someone could actually figure out a way to tie the country or area or kingdom of Moab from biblical times, which for those that don't know is a country that's east of the Dead Sea, sometimes at war with the Israelites back in Bible times. Mm -hmm. And they tie that, of course, directly into Lester's character being a reverend, so the reverend should know the stories, and then somehow make it completely relevant to the show. Um, the interesting thing, though, though is that <laughs> he's got this hearing aid that looks like it was from the 40s or 50s. <laughs> because they were having a hard time picking up any kind of radio signal unless they're at the radio station. And then here he's got this gigantic <laughs> hearing aid that looks like a radio receiver sticking out of his ear, and he's able to pick up the military chatter. So I yeah. thought that was quite interesting. Well, those classic pieces of electronics, they they definitely can get the bandwidth and pulling signals that uh, modern stuff just can't. That's all digital. 
But then, of course, Barbie flashes the coin, and he's part of the Jackrabbits, and fig- finally was, figures out. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. You know, he's like, hey, I'm this cool dude. Come talk to me. And then the private's like, uh, do I talk to my commander, or do I talk to the cool guy? <laughs> <laughs> so he, like, he spills that there's something going on, and then Barbie obviously figures out that Moab stands for Mother of All Bombs. And That's Barbie's- a problem. Yeah, and he said in the episode, though, that this was the largest arsenal weapon we have in the United States military that's non-nuclear. Yeah, they really emphasize that. I wonder why. I don't want to use the word nuclear bomb in a TV show. I think they used it purposely so that they would make sure that listeners or viewers saw that or heard that it was non-nuclear because there's a lot of feedback where people think that it was nuclear because of the devastation that was outside, but it was clearly non-nuclear mentioned by Barbie in that conversation. Yeah, they spelled it out as loud and clear as they made sure that we knew that people were using Microsoft Surface. So Yeah. Or we need I'm to stop friend- talking about it. We're just helping the cause, Wayne. Come on. Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think we're helping. <laughs> now, I have a question. How come Julia Shumway seems to be the main on-air talent at WYBS these days? She doesn't even have an FCC license. And, of course, I know that doesn't matter when you're trapped under a dome with no hope. But she's kind of a magical radio engineer with that dial on Doty's equipment. Found the targets painted green at 1315. And, of course, that lets Barbie know what's going to happen with the bomb hitting. But then there's Phil... On the other hand, always the radio pro. He's programming a special playlist to play once they evacuate the radio station. I thought that was very cool. Phil is on top of things. Yeah, he's got Beethoven queued up. And he actually mentions it down in the cement works, what the significance of Beethoven was. And I think he just, he said it's like, you know, classical classical music just kind of mellows people out. You know, but then definitely appropriate. He had Skeeter Davis's End of the World. <laughs> well, a little morbid, but... Kind of fitting, I suppose. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, um, there was probably a third song of R.E.M.'s End of the World as we know it, but that's been used in so many films that that one would actually be cliched. But I am wondering what that Beethoven song was, if it turns out to have particular significance. And I only ask that because of our background with Lost and how every song that was ever on Lost had major significance. And it may not mean anything other than what Phil said. It's going to mellow people out. Well, if there's a dome head out there that's a classical fan and you know what that song is, you can call us at 904-469-7469 or use the SpeakPipe widget. Send us a voicemail right from the website at underthedomeradio.com. What was that phone number again? I forgot to write it down. 904-469-7469. Thanks, Troy. I think I'm going to go ahead and add that in the show notes at underthedomeradio.com. Well, Even better, you can just add it as a contact right in your phone so that right when you're done live tweeting with the <gasps> cast on Monday nights, you can just push that button and make a phone call right there. That sounds perfect. Now, in, our in good- non-Microsoft <laughs> Surface. <laughs> exactly, because those can get close to a dome, but not much else. You know, our good buddy, and I use the term loosely, Junior, did not take the news very well from his dad that, uh, that he let uh, Angie out of the uh, bomb shelter. <laughs> He just like takes off running like a tear, like he's got some mission to accomplish or something. <laughs> Is that not going to make his dad even a little more concerned about? I was his... worried for Big Jim. I thought he was going to drop from a heart attack or like a blood vessel popping in his head. He was just screaming, "Junior, Junior!" Junior is psychotic, and the fact that he has a badge and a gun, like we mentioned previously, this is not good. Not good at all. 
And we did have that rare tender moment between radio air talent and the station engineer. Just kidding. Just kidding. Thinking of a station I was at in the past. Um, Dodie and Phil were even dancing and hugging goodbye. And it, it was kind of cute. Kind of cute. I, I, I wanted to know the, the over under on how many people wanted them to kiss. You're awfully it, sappy these days, Troy. <laughs> well, you knew that it was coming in this episode at one point. It was either they were going to kiss, Barbie and Julia were going to kiss, or Joe and Nori were going to kiss. So I wanted to know what Vegas had for the odds do you between think, those three couples. Do you think they take <laughs> bets on this? If uh, they can make money on it, I'm sure they will. Oh. So anyway, the end result is is the mother of all bombs didn't do all that much to the uh, folks in Chester's Mill when it exploded. Or did it? Has the dome been affected somehow? So when Nori and Joe have their kind of kissy moment there on the park bench, oh boy, they didn't have a seizure. They touched for a pretty long time, and they didn't short out, if you will, or feed back on each other. So was there something affected in the dome's chemistry or makeup when the missile hit it? We'll have to wait and see. Hmm. And at the very end, Reverend Coggins, Rest in peace. You know, the the population of Chester's Mill is going downhill fast. I've seen a lot of people, though, that are wondering if he just had some kind of hemorrhage or maybe inner ear canal bleeding, and he's not actually dead. But I say he's dead. I don't know. The dramatic music they played in that scene makes me think he's uh, he's dead. I have thoughts on that scene, but we'll save it for the In the Dome section. Ooh, yes, because we've read the book, and it may or may not be spoilery. So, all in all... A fantastic episode of Under the Dome. I'm going to go ahead and give this one 9.7 out of 10 butterfly metaphors. Oh, very good. Very good. I gave it the full 10 because I thought the writing writing and everything was very, very good. Uh, Pacing was really good. I kind of wanted more of this episode to keep going. Even the uh, the kissy bomb going off in the background, cheesy as it was, was just that, very fitting. That's what so, brought it down a point three for me. Oh, uh, so I give it a ten out of ten. Very hungry caterpillars. Ew. That's because I have kids and I read the book all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the hungriest caterpillar is definitely Big Jim. Except there's no escaping this cocoon for him. I'm sure in the end. Well, we can't be sure of anything. There are so many changes and so many twists already after just five episodes of Under the Dome. And there's more to come. We definitely know that there's new characters being introduced yet this season that are definitely not in the book that are completely new to the show. Well, interesting. That's definitely going to keep us on our toes and everybody else. We're going to hop on over to the broadcast section of the uh, show just to thank uh, some folks who are helping get the word out about our situation here at the radio station at uh, Under the Dome Radio, Trapped Under the Dome. We want to thank uh, Stephen McGrath over at the Voice of Steve podcast who uh, shared one of our Under the Dome Radio commercials on his excellent Voice of Steve podcast this week. And also huge mega thank yous going out to listeners Rochelle and Lorene, who both have sponsored some propane tanks for here at Under the Dome Radio. It's very much appreciated, Lorene and Rochelle. Thank you yet again. Anybody that wants to sponsor us, there's three different levels of uh, propane tanks that you can sponsor to give us some power here to turn our talking into MP3 files. Just go to underthedomeradio.com and look on the right sidebar. You'll, you'll see. 
And a big thanks also to Rick and Amy Moyer's Take Them With You podcast um, for letting me guest host this past weekend. You can check that out there. And also Stephanie over at TV Rewind podcast letting us promote the show as I was co-hosting there as well. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. I was hearing Troy all weekend on all of my favorite podcasts. I go, oh, it's Troy again. You're making the rounds, sir. It's my goal to dominate your podcatcher. <laughs> okay, you're you're succeeding. You know, and while we're waiting for the transmitter at the tower to lock into the signal, I want to let you know about something that was I thought that was really cool that kind of struck me the other day, and it kind of neatly ties all of the television fan podcasts, Lost Casting, Fringe Casting, and Under the Dome that I've done. It ties them all together. You mean besides my closing line at the end of the podcast each week, Wayne? Well, there's that, but in addition to that, it's a little different. You mean even better than Lost is on an Island, the island has got the Statue of Liberty, which is inside of a snow globe, and oh, the snow globe just happens to be a dome? That's pretty cool, but no, not either. It can't really be explained. It's a visual thing. All I can okay. say is, um, everybody, is just take a moment, even while you're listening to the show, and check out the screen captures that I posted on our site at underthedomeradio.com slash 12 that show how Lost, Fringe, and Under the Dome all have a visual common thread. And I just wanted to throw that out there because it struck me and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. But then again, I like your Island Snow Dome tie-ins as well. Yeah, you know, it just comes to me. So with that, everything's amped up and ready to go at the tower. We've got some great listener thoughts and theories for you. Check it out. We're going to kick it off with a new call-in to the show, Bryant. Hey, guys, this is Bryant in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, been loving your show so far. It's great to see that there's a podcast out there for uh, what's usually one of them. I could talk at length about uh, tonight's fifth episode, but I just wanted to call attention to one quick thing, which uh, I wasn't sure anybody else would mention, and I just wanted to do myself in case. I loved, loved, loved the scene where Benny the Skater Kid uh, talked about having talked to someone who had mentioned that China almost attacked America. That is an awesome detail, and it's the kind of thing that really actually kind of made me like Benny, who I'd hated before now, but it also did an interesting thing where it suggests that in the world outside the Dome, the world has basically been losing its mind over this happening, and to me, one of my big complaints with the first few episodes was that nobody inside the Dome seemed to be freaking out at all. But in my mind, this sort of makes up for that 100% because it says, no, there's something weird going on inside this dome. And the rest of the world is losing its mind over it. Anyways, I thought that was really cool. Uh, loved the episode in general and can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about it. All right, see ya. Yeah, that was my real big takeaway from this week as well was that comment from Ben about China. And the thing that struck me pretty hard you know we already talked about it kind of being like the Jericho situation but the thing that's really really got kind of my wheels turning is just sitting there thinking about you know when they go to decide to do this bomb mm -hmm. you know it, I mean the, the destruction we see at the end of the episode clearly shows that this sucker wasn't like some rinky dinky toy <laughs> no, you know like no. some tomahawk missile or something I mean this sucker was huge and I think that, you know, a lot of people I was reading in the community, you know, over the last couple of days, you know, they're like, why do they have to go so big? Why couldn't they go small or do something simple? You know, why did they go like to the extreme to start with? 
And I think it's because they really have some kind of international crisis on their hands that they're uh -huh. trying to say, hey, look, you know, we're going to throw the biggest, baddest thing we have and torch our own country to prove that we're not behind this. You know, so I think they're trying to make a statement to the other powers that be in the world to say, we're going to throw our biggest, baddest thing at it, and if it doesn't come down, then, hey, you know it ain't us. Interesting. So that's, our, so that's definitely right there, the bomb, obviously, being your kind of friendly fire blue on blue um, for your first reference for this show. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie uh, trying to call in. Yeah, voice is getting a little better. Anyway, uh, this is about episode five, blue on blue. Blue on blue stands for friendly fire, and uh, that was uh, definitely a theme in the episode. Um, there's a few comments. Uh, it was the... Uh, Opening with all the butterflies on the dome was really powerful, and uh, the segue of that going to the butterfly tattoo on Angie was really nice. Uh, looks like uh, you know, Jim, Big Jim must have promised to come back right after the last episode, but still needed more time to think about it. Finchy does let her out, and when he thinks they're all going to die, but she's quickly in danger again after he tells Junior about it. We still don't know her current fate at the end of the episode. So, uh, and of course, the Reverend uh, gives Jim one day to come clean, so we all knew that he was going to meet with an accident soon. And uh, how about uh, Death by Hearing Aid to close the episode? So, um, Moab was mother of all bombs. I really don't know what the government was thinking. Why go straight to that? Was there enough time to evacuate the surrounding areas? Did they really take into account all the damage that was going to happen to the surrounding areas? I mean... They were trying some things before, but I thought they would have built up to the Moab instead of going there so quickly. Anyway, uh, we saw our friendly kids uh, kiss as the bomb hits, and it was nice imagery there, but even with their eyes closed, wouldn't they have been blinded by the light? Would there really have been no radiation coming through the dome? Were they really protected by whatever caused their seizures, but, you know, in this case, instead of causing their seizures, it protected them? And then, meanwhile, for the other people who were out there, Linda or Barbie or Ms. Shumway, you'd think that they would have been affected by the flash. I mean, you know, driving along, were they still driving? When the flash hit, uh, probably would have caused an accident or something. Anyway, sorry, I don't buy it. Uh, but uh, maybe we'll see some more um, next episode. Um, in a note I sent you, uh, I gave a URL for a discussion about... Uh, being uh, blinded by the light uh, due to a bomb. Uh, that's all. Well, it's definitely the reason why they were kissing, right? Because they, you know, when you kiss, you have to close your eyes. So I think that's how they protected themselves. Because as long as you're not looking at it open-eyed into the flash, I think you're okay. Oh, okay. You know? I thought you were going to sing us a song by Manfred Mann. <laughs> no, I've been told not to sing anymore on the podcast. <laughs> My feelings are hurt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, um, yeah, with the radiation, and th there shouldn't be any radiation, you know, because, again, it's a non-nuclear device. Oh, but yes. what is interesting, and we'll have to save this for the uh, in the dome section later because it ties back to the book, but, you know, there is some kind of heat transference that I think that would happen. You know, so is there something sparking inside the dome from the heat from the bomb? We'd have to wait and see. What I'm wondering is how far is that devastation how far does that stretch on the outside of the dome? Yeah, I don't know the mileage-wise, but you can definitely see that in that, I think it was in the final shot with Big Jim when he looked out, there was a tree line in the distance. Mm -hmm. 
So it didn't look like it would have been too far. Maybe a mile, maybe two. I don't know. That tree line was definitely burnt to a crisp. I think there were just twigs left on the tree line. Could be. Could be. But uh, good. I can see why they evacuated everybody. Do you have any other uh, bomb-related stuff that can be shared here? Or we're well, waiting until In the Dome? Yeah, we'll wait till in the dome. But I think that maybe that's why the choke point was where it was with the visitors' day. Maybe they had to get people onto that side of town, kind of like they did actually in the book, because they were going to shoot the the missile at the other side of town. So maybe that's why it was the only place they could get together. Ah, strategic. I like it. Hey, Wayne and Troy, this is Rick from Wisconsin calling. <clears throat> I think this week's episode of Under the Dome was a very good one. Um, I liked the unexpected things in this episode. I really didn't see Big Jim letting her go, but I guess under the belief that they might all be dying, it was a fair thing to do. But uh, since they didn't die, where did they go from here? And uh, when Junior caught up with her, I thought she was kind of crazy to sit there and act nice to him, but my wife said she's just trying to survive because she can't really escape, so running away probably would have gotten her shot, and I I think my wife's probably right on that one. Um, The little coin that Barbie flashed to get the soldier's attention and how he reacted uh, is another interesting twist. I was kind of disappointed the explanation that he gave to Julia that kind of downgraded him, uh, so they're keeping him a real kind of ambivalent character, you know, not entirely bad guy, not an entirely good guy, he's just kind of odd, uh, particularly like the scene where he sees Junior in uniform, that was uh, worth a chuckle, and uh, I thought it was well acted, and uh, <clears throat> the also very moving part where uh, the... Uh, police officer lady, I forget her name now, was uh, informing her husband about it, what happened to his brother. It was very well done. I think the writing is really becoming superior to the book, and uh, like the, the changes and the differences in the show, I think the, the, I'm enjoying it a lot better. So uh, thanks for doing the podcast. Rick, you are welcome. And thanks for calling 904-469-7469 and sharing your thoughts. Interesting point there about why Angie was kind of acting calm and uh, not trying to run away from Psycho Jr. when he caught up to her because he was in a hurry to catch her. And I think that's uh, right on, Rick. I think your wife is correct that Angie was just trying to survive. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the interesting part of... You know, most of this episode was that I think it was really setting up, you know, where the future story is going to go because where a lot of this was very book related. Um, I think what we're going to see in the future is now we're going to start to stray from the book quite a bit. So I think the, you know, the major players have been set. I mean, there's still some people in the book that we haven't been introduced yet to or other people that we've been introduced to that we haven't gotten very deep with yet, like Rusty or Andrea or some of the other people in the hospital. Um, so it'll be great to find out where this goes in the coming weeks, but I think this was probably the best episode of the season so far. 
Definitely, definitely the best in my opinion. And I do also hope that we get to see more Andrea Grinnell. We need to see more Dodie and more Ben and Joe and have them all team up and share some of their expertise because we got little glimpses into other sides of all three of those this evening. And and we're just really looking forward to next week's episode because uh, whether or not it ties into the book or not, Rick made a great point that he's liking the show better than the book and i agree 100 percent. you made it funny there and didn't even know it i did yeah whether or not oh, oh. <laughs> wow <laughs> you're reading into everything i love it I, uh, so, you have to you have to with these shows <laughs> yes you do so with I, almost, I actually read into you when you said ben too i thought lost for a minute i was like oh no wait ben the skateboarder <laughs> oh no they could you never see them together at a party that's for sure. It might be the same person, another alias. So with well, that, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna try to move along quickly and into the dome, into the no spoilery possibilities. So we're gonna give you a minute, and since you have a minute, why That's don't you enough. at this time go over to underthedome.radio.com/love, find out ways that you can help support the podcast. Definitely sponsor the propane tanks, buy a couple shirts, a coffee mug for your loved one. You just never know when a bomb might be coming and you want to just sip a cup of hot tea on the last day. <laughs> okay, is everybody ready? I think everybody, we're ready. And, everybody's it, pause that needs to pause? Right, because, and, and again, some of this stuff may not even be spoilery because there's already been a lot of changes from the book. There's going to be even more, including the ending. So, I mean, we could even talk about the ending freely if we felt like it because it's not going to be spoilery. Well, that's but, where I'm going to start, as at the end. Because the death scene, I'm going to call it a death scene because I think Coggins is dead. I think so, too. This is exactly what happened in the book. Big Jim, well, not exactly what happened in the book. So in the book, Big Jim and Coggins have this, you know, kind of spat about you need to come clean, you need to confess. You know, what we did for the town might have saved the town, but it's a bad way to do it. And so Big Jim basically smashes them upside the head with a golden baseball. <laughs> yes, and in theory, he kind of smashed him upside the head again, but he used the dome as to do the smashing for him. Um, but Junior actually does finish him off by choking him, you know, to finally put him out of his misery. So in the show, you know, Jim's outright killed him himself. So this is the first time Jim's really gotten his hands actually dirty um, that we've seen so far in the TV show and even in the book until towards the very, very end. But the way that he did it was, in, was genius, you know, I mean, he literally was like, oh, I'll just push his hearing aid up against the dome. And then if the hearing aid doesn't puncture him because the thing's so freaking huge, you know, then <laughs> it's at, a least the electrical, yeah, the, at least the electrical shock from the dome and the you know electronics will definitely fry his brain. And then he just kind of slumps down, lays there on the ground. Jim kind of wipes his kind of like does the, you know, washes, washes his hands of it, punches pilot style and walks away. You know, so there's no way that it's going to be tied back to Jim, where at least in the book... There was at least some evidence that basically said Big Jim was the one that killed Coggins. Here, I think he's going to get away scot-free. And so that'll be really interesting to see where the story goes. I don't know. I, Of course, I'm just guessing, but it just seems like something or someone, maybe even the dear Andrea Grinnell, is going to come out of the woodwork with some sort of uh, evidence to get Big Jim, or at least try. Do I hear a Team Wayne, Team Troy contest for this one? <laughs> Do you think that's not going to happen? Do you think he's scot-free? I, and- 
I think he's scot free. I think you're. Oh, the hearing aid just blew up, and uh, you know he got too close because he was crazy. And bygones are bygones, right? So if you're Team Troy this week, you say <laughs> Coggins is dead, and Big Jim gets away with it. And if you're Team Wayne, you say Big Jim's going to get busted. Yes, but I still agree that Coggins is dead. Agree. So <laughs> wow. you Big Big Jim gets caught. Go with Team Wayne. Big oh. Jim goes free. Go with Team Troy. Wow. Well, I had to read because what I wanted to find out was, was there heat, like we were talking about before, was there heat transference through the mm-hmm. dome? And I, I was rereading that section over lunch today. And so it was like a Tomahawk missile, but a little bit more powerful. And they actually shot two missiles at the same spot on what's called Little Bitch Road, which is kind of off in a cabiny wooded area, not towards the populated part of town. And everybody is actually at a bar. And what they did was they took out a Mac, not a Microsoft Surface, and they took out a, a Mac and actually set it on the road and actually used quote unquote, like a FaceTime or Skype to basically broadcast what was happening at the dome. And they actually watched the missiles hit the dome and then literally watched the video frame by frame. And so they did see the bright flash of light just on a video screen. Um, but what happens then after that is what's the interesting part is that some of the trees um, in the area that are right around the dome do catch on fire, obviously not as expansively massive wasteland that we saw on the show. So it's just more of a smaller scale area that kind of gets affected. But there is some heat that transfers through, and there's trees inside the dome that catch on fire. And so you have a whole bucket of, you know, two fire engines that in the book were still inside the dome um, do go out and try to put out the fire that's caused by the missile. So heat transference was a possibility. So will we see some kind of fire or some other effect? Uh, in the TV show, we'll have to wait and see next week. Yeah, I think that this was great because even though the Coggins Big Jim was kind of two days delayed because this happened all on day three in the book, it's great to see that this is still happening, so it's still part of the main story. Um, you know, it's great to see that Joe and Nori are together because that relationship is obviously budding in the book. Granted, they've been best friends their whole lives, so it's a little bit more believable. So I think the way that they accelerated the relationship by bringing the end of the world. I think makes it pay off, but at the same time, yeah, they did just meet each other, but you know, teenagers will be teenagers, I suppose. And just like in the book, uh, junior gets to be a policeman. Not good. And it it sounded like in this episode, Jim said, Hey, go ground up some of your friends to also be policemen. Bad, bad idea. If junior has, if he has any friends, this is not good. Right. And they did actually have the extra policemen down in the cement works. So it'll be great to finally see who those other people are. And I'm sure it'll be our friends, um, Frankie and Georgia and a bunch of other folks that we love to hate in the book. <laughs> Which for me, when I was reading the book, it was about 98% of the characters. They- yeah, but all in all, yeah, all in all, I, I think this one was very close to the book. Yes, um, it was. Even the time, the time of the bomb was actually really close too. I think the time of the first missile was like around 1255 in the afternoon. And then the second missile came about a half hour later. So they were right in that one o'clock uh, time frame. So I thought that was really cool that they stayed even to the time of day um, in, in this episode. That's a good but, common uh, sense time of day to shoot a missile at a dome. Sure. Yeah. Everybody's at lunch. Nobody's working. Go ahead and blow everybody up. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, all in all, I think it was a great episode. I think uh, we have some interesting things ahead. Um, if you saw the preview, since we're in the spoilery section, uh, rain. So in the book, 
it just got hotter and hotter and hotter and, and that, less wind and no moisture and bad so, air and just yeah so it'll be really interesting to see where this rain comes from next week yeah i'm kind of you know, disturbed I, by and not disturbed but i was hoping that that part of the book would carry into the show that the air would just get more stale and mucky and and slowly just choke people off and things like that and i'm really i'm actually excited now at first when we started watching the show i was kind of like man i'm really upset with myself for reading the book in advance but now i'm really excited that i read the book because even as that missile was coming i knew in the back of my head it's not going to work it's not going to work it's not going to work but there was that level of what did brian do what did jack do what did neil do is it gonna oh no it didn't work but there was that level of suspense <laughs> Like, are they going to make something different? Is it going to come down, you know? Um, so I, th I think it's really, I, I'm, a, I'm enjoying the fact that I read the book because I look for the little things now right. to say how different is it, you know, and it, is it going to be so drastically different that it's a whole new twist on about six other things that tie into it. So that's where I'm at this week. But, uh, yeah, overall, awesome, awesome, awesome. Can't wait for it to continue. Absolutely. And folks, if you did not get a chance to hear our interview with Dale Rowell, check out underthedomeradio.com slash Dale while we're waiting for the next episode of Under the Dome to air because it was a fantastic interview. Dale was so much fun. It, it was just great for, for her to take the time to chat with us and let us put that out as a podcast episode. And that about wraps it up for this episode of your Under the Dome Radio podcast. But the dome-related discussions are certainly not ending, are they, Troy? They are not. You can always find out the latest and greatest about the show by visiting the website at underthedomeradio.com. You can like our Facebook page and leave a comment or share your dome head pics or swag at facebook.com slash underthedomeradio. Follow us on Twitter at UTD Radio Podcast and use the hashtag pound or hash UTDR so we can find your tweets faster. And, of course, be sure to subscribe in iTunes because, let's face it, even if you're listening on Downcast or Pocket Cast or one of those other podcatchers or even straight up in the feed burner feed itself, it'd be great if you could at least still subscribe in iTunes, leave a review or at least a rating because it really helps get the show noticed. And then while you're at your computer checking out either Dale's interview or Wayne's Lost Fringe Under the Dome tie-in, at underthedomeradio.com slash 12. It's a visual thing. You've got to check these screen captures out. You've got to. Yeah, while you're there, check out the screen captures, then take a few minutes and find out ways you can share your love of the Under the Dome Radio podcast by visiting our love page or just sponsor a propane tank like Rochelle and Lorraine did over there in the right-hand sidebar. Absolutely. And then, of course, let your voice be heard like Neil and Bryant and Rick did by calling our voicemail or right through the website under the dome radio.com. All the details are over there. Plus, be sure to check out the dome heads section. And if you can get a picture of yourself underneath some sort of dome, send it in to us. We'll include it on that page. We have a new submission that just came in. Uh, we got permission from uh, the actress to post it over at underthedomeradio.com slash domeheads. Can you tell us a little more about that picture, uh, Troy? So I was just happening to be on Facebook, and I happened to run across Jolene Purdy, who plays Dodie on the show. I ran across her fan page, and she, of course, posted a great picture of herself wearing a dome on her head that she uses to protect her hair from the rain. It was perfect. So it was great timing, especially with the rain coming next week. 
So, uh, yeah, uh, Jolene was great, and she said, yeah, go ahead and use the picture. It's awesome. So you'll definitely have to go after you're done checking out Wayne's stuff for <laughs> Lost Fringe and Under the Dome. And then after you're done giving us 5 10 or 25 bucks, <laughs> then go over to the Domeheads page and check out uh, Dodie's picture of her dome on her head. It was definitely a must-see. Yes, it's, it's a beautiful picture. It's really, really well done. So with all of that in mind, until the next episode of Under the Dome Radio, if you're looking for us around Chester's Mill, you can always find us if Big Jim doesn't find us first. That would be bad. Definitely find us lost, out on the fringe, trapped under the dome. <laughs>